This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. We really hope that this study is going to be useful, you know, in terms of as, a, as you know, as a baseline in terms of, you know, what are the effects that we're having on, on you know, on the yeast and then kind of you, we can build from that. We did see a, a decrease in ethanol production over the generations, so they're not really performing as well uh, under each successive fermentation. This week on the show, a study examining the impacts of wort gravity, IBUs, and cereal repitching of California ale yeast. Hi, um, so I'm Luis Castro, and I am an assistant professor of food science at California Polytechnic State University. My name is Nicole. I'm a chemist up in the Bay Area. Uh, I did my master's in food science down in San Luis Obispo and my undergrad in chemistry down in San Marcos, California. What was the impetus for this study? So uh, one of my first, uh, as soon as I got to Cal Poly, one of, my, uh, one of the classes that the students take is called Senior Project. And one of my students was interning at a local brewery and they wanted to, they want to help us out with some projects. And this was one of the suggestions that they had. They wanted to look at the impact of, of you know, um, high, high IBU, like high ABV, and uh, how would that affect uh, yeast health, uh, yeast viability. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the parameters that they were looking at. So uh, they, you know, so we did a little bit of work with that, um, but, you know, definitely wanted to expand the, the, the work. So, uh, you know, I decided to turn it into a, a graduate project. And then I... Um, uh, you know, I started looking for a graduate student, and that's uh, and Nicole was applying, and I, I saw that she had done some work with hops in her undergraduate, and she had a background in chemistry, and so this was sort of a, of interest to like the local breweries. They definitely wanted to see what was the effect, especially because of uh, kind of the, you know, how there, there's like this big movement, or at least this big trend to do really high I- IBU beers, you know, very hoppy, and and they're doing more and more experimental uh, sort of uh, trials with beers. So, you know, it's kind of important to understand, like, what is the effect of the of the IBU and the combination of the IBU with the AB, with the high ABV on the, uh, you know, on the viabilities. So 
think that was pretty much the the main reason for uh you know for the project and ales just Basically, it's because they, they like, like, as you mentioned, they do have a lot of research on lagers, not so much on ales and, you know, a lot of the, you know, the India Pale Ales and they're, they're doing more of the ales with the high IBU, uh, ABV. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what was of, of interest. All right. So there's two parts uh, to this study. Talk about what you were evaluating in the first part. Uh, so in the first part, we were evaluating uh, the effect of high gravity on the yeast viability over serial repitching cycles. And um, we looked at 10, 14, and 18 degree Play-Doh uh, wort fermentations and serial repitch those over uh, seven generations and track the viability, track the, um, the ethanol production. Okay. Evaluating viability in ethanol for serial repitches at different wort strengths doesn't sound that complicated when I say it like that, but there are a lot of variables that need to be controlled. Tell us about the experimental design. Yeah, so um, I would pick up wort from a local brewery, sterilize that and dilute it down to the the different levels. Uh, We did have a temperature controlled incubator uh, in the lab that kept everything at uh, a nice 22 degrees. Everything was done on a pretty small lab scale, you know, 600 um, 600 mil fermentations. Uh, so the yeast, it was the California ale yeast from White Labs. Um, and I would make a starter culture of that with some uh, dry malt extract that one of the brewer- breweries had contributed. Uh, Firestone generously donated uh, a lot of wort for this project. And it was the same, same brew every single time. It was just a high gravity. Um, War, uh, truck it down from Paso down to San Luis Obispo, um, get everything set and ready and um, dilute it down, sterilize it and um, into the different gravity levels. And um, I think that would happen like once, once a week. Each study went on for, I want to say like 40, 40 days or so. Yeah, so the, the starter would be made, uh, I would do a viability count and then uh, Pitch it into, uh, you know, three replicates of each level. Um, let those fermentations go for five days and then um, do it all over again. Count the cells, dilute and, and repitch. We'll get into IBU levels later on, but what can you tell us about that wort that you used for this part of the study? Was it hopped, unhopped? If it was hopped, how much? Uh, it was unhopped. So it was literally right after um, they had done the, um, the sparging and everything. Um, so right before it went to the boil, uh, is the word that we had used. All right. I want to better understand your repitching procedure because that's pretty important. Walk us through that. Yeah. So, um, after the fifth day of fermentation, um, I would pour out, uh, you know, all of the beer for analysis to take the specific gravity pH. Um, and I would get just the yeast culture, um, and dilute that down to uh, an appropriate level to count on the hemocytometer. Uh, dye it with methylene blue, because um, when you dye it with that, the cells that are non-viable will show up as really dark blue. Uh, so from there, you can get a percentage of how many, um, or how many live and active cells you have uh, to put into the next generation. I have a lot of questions about this part, mostly because it's so different from what us brewers are doing in a commercial application. 
I guess my first question is, how the heck do you manage to accurately pitch volumes that small? You're probably only pitching, what, a few grams of yeast slurry? How do you do that accurately? Uh, I had a, a very small pipette. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I will, I will sorry, jump in and just, just to say like, you know, I, I just would like to recognize Nicole, you know, she did, a, she put a lot of work into this in terms of, of hours. She was in the lab for, I don't know, Nicole, what, six, eight hours a day when <laughs> on, on like repitching day, like she was not exactly happy on those days, I would say, because uh, it was, it was extremely long and she was on her feet, you know, like it was, yeah. Like yeah. you said, it's very small volumes, very, you know, very, very hard on the eyes. You know, you're doing all these repitchings and very it was tightly controlled. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it was, yeah, it was, I would say anywhere from six to eight hours, she would be there just, you know, uh, measuring, transferring, you know, making sure everything was right. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it was so very, very, very labor intensive. Talk about the rinsing procedure that you did in the lab, because that's a little bit different from what most brewers might experience repitching tanks in the brewery you know you uh basically separated the beer from the the, the yeast slurry and then uh, you, you added some water and then basically you uh you seal and you shake the container for a couple of minutes then allow it to stand it all mixes and then basically the, the yeast and the trub are going to settle then you that's when you get those three layers and you separate the top layer which is just basically water and the non-yeast material so you kind of just decant that. And then that middle layer is what you're going to want to use. And that's where the most of the clean yeast is going to be, uh, it's going to be found. And then what's in that last layer? Oh, so the last layer is just kind of just sort of, uh, it's basically dead cells, you know, some trub. Uh, okay. So it's kind of like leftover material. So it's not like, yeah, the majority of the useful yeast that you want is going to be in that middle layer. Okay. And um does, is there any concern about, I mean, if you're going to be, if you remove dead cells from that process, I mean, doesn't that th theoretically, doesn't, isn't that going to give you a artificially high viability versus what you would experience in a commercial setting or no? Uh, you know, it, it might, because I think one of the important things of, of uh, kind of like the angle or the focus of this research was that it was really more of a baseline study, right? So it's not really replicating, you know, brewing right. conditions. We're just trying it's to see like... Scale. Exactly. It's lab scale. So we're trying to see what is there, you know, just from a baseline standpoint, like what is the effect on, on the viability, you know? Uh, so when yeah. you want to, when you want to extrapolate this to uh, like a commercial brewery, then it, you know, you, you need to account for that. But because this was lab scale, you know, it was, we were just looking specifically at, you know, what the, what, what was the effect when you pitch those, uh, when, when you pitch, you know, when you calculate your pitch rate, you yeah. want to make sure that what, what's the viability going to be. And you pretty much, when you're working with volumes that small, you kind of have to do something like this. Otherwise, yes. you know, if any, if even the tiniest bit of that tube gets into that tiny amount that you're putting in that tiny pipette, that's a problem. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. it completely offsets the, um, you know, the visuals of looking at the mi microscope and uh, the volume and everything. So you do kind of want to get all that out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like and like you said, especially that small scale. It's yeah, every little, you know, every little. Uh, yeah, a fraction of the trap gets in, then you have a problem. <laughs> Your numbers are going to be off. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell tell us what you observed. What happened uh, with the first part of the study? Yeah. So with the first part of the study, we didn't really see much of a viability change um, throughout all the seven generations with the low gravity wart, which we did find some studies where you could ferment at that low gravity for you know upwards of ninety. 90 plus times. <laughs> I think I recall seeing a study where they did over a hundred as well. Um, but we did. And start again, to that, see that low gravity was 10, 10 Plato, right? 
Yes, that's correct. The low gravity okay. was 10.0. Yep. All right. Um, we did start to see some uh, more serious decreases in viability with the 14 uh, degree Play-Doh and the most significant change was with the 18 degree where we saw that completely drop off um, and get to the um, like mid and low 70s um, in terms of viability percentage. Um, and okay. Yeah. So, so all of those, um, you did all that for seven, seven different repitch cycles um, and you know, it seems like mo the viability held up for um for the first few generations for the most part but then after that's where you started to really see the differences yeah that's correct okay all right um why don't you mention um you, did, you haven't said anything yet about the alcohol the abv um because you were you were assessing that as well right yeah so the abv was just um to kind of assess like how well the yeast was actually performing um just another factor and um the output of ethanol wasn't really uh, affected by the low gravity of the tin Play-Doh fermentations, but as uh, you know, the the gravity of the wort increased, we did see a, a decrease in ethanol production over the generations, and we can kind of postulate that that's due to uh, the increase in osmotic pressure, kind of uh, stressing out the yeast so they're not really performing as well uh, under each successive fermentation. Okay, and. I believe your paper mentioned that repeated exposure to high osmotic stress and ethanol can potentially force genetic mutations with undesirable outcomes. Talk about that. Yeah, and uh, we were kind of seeing that a little bit in the, um, I don't think this is written in the paper, I think it's written in my actual thesis, but um, over time we would kind of get these, you know, off notes like the um, diacetyl and everything where um, you know, the, you, you can tell that the yeast is getting a little bit stressed out and not performing as well and producing all of these off notes. And, uh, you know, the fermentations are different from generation to generation where cereal repitching, you, you typically want, or what the goal is to get, um, is, you know, the same product over time. Um, and this is going to be a common and probably not that surprising theme here, but you found that the stresses were additive, that repitching aggravated the negative effects of high gravity words. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of a synergistic negative effect, if you want to think of it that way. So, you know, you've got one stressor, like the high, wort, high gravity word, and then you add another stressor, right? The repitch cycle. So it's, yeah, like you're, you're adding two stresses at the same time to the yeast. So they have to, they have to like do that double adaptation. So, yeah. So what, what we found in the studies, basically you get, yeah, you got a, you got an aggravated effect basically from as soon as you add the second, uh, the second factor. Coming up. Why is it important to do that supplementation? Well, this, you know, kind of this study shows, so look what happens when you don't do that supplementation, right? I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. 
Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet, refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Muntins, offering a wide range of malted ingredients sourced within a 50-mile radius of their maltings. Listen to Nigel Davis discuss sustainability at Muntins on episode 206. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. I'm happy to report that District Texas is back. Their infamous annual summer meeting, which takes place at End of the Hills in Kerrville, will be August 6th through the 8th. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. The District Ontario 2021 Iron Brewer Competition is September 24th. I'm so glad to see the great District Northwest meeting once again at Hood River, October 15th and 16th. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Registration is open now. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, United We Brew. Now back to the show. Let me ask you this. I know you didn't really study this, but would switching to low gravity where after a few cycles potentially rejuvenate the yeast and bias more cycles? So for example, would 18, 18, 12, 18, 18 look any better than just 18 Play-Doh for five cycles straight? That would certainly be an interesting thing to look into. What's your gut? Do you think it, do you think it would help or no? I think it would. I mean, I'd like to see it. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, trying to, yeah. I'm trying like just, uh, you know, I'm thinking yes, but at the same time, well, I, I'd have to see. 
because you know by by the time you get to that set sixth or seventh generation or third or fourth, you know you you you've um you know you, you have stressed out the yeast at that point, right? Like you've you've uh you've already submitted them to to certain pressures, so it it probably would be a relief. So I think it would uh, initially help. It's but, like a vacation, right? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it would be a. I mean, I just I've never read of this being done. I mean, I might have just missed it. Um, yeah, I, I think it might. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting because like uh, most of the brewery settings I've worked in, you strategically try to, you know, repitch the high gravity warts or pitch the high gravity warts, you know, from a lower gravity and then not repitch that again. And, you know, if you can get away with the logistics of making all that work. But mm-hmm. I think there probably there definitely are situations, especially for breweries that maybe you know uh, don't have as many options and aren't brewing as often or whatever where um and i've certainly worked in brew pubs before where that was more the case where you might mm-hmm. bounce around so hey this week we're gonna make an ipa and next week we're gonna make a amber ale and and so on so um i i'm guessing that this that in practice it probably happens you know somewhat often in, in certain settings but i don't know be interesting to see some data on that so Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Mean, I was going to say, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And also something to keep in mind with a lot of brewing uh, research is sometimes breweries have their own like sort of research, right? And it's not necessarily published. So may- maybe some breweries are doing this already. It's just it's just not out in the literature, right? And uh, yeah. I, I know some breweries are very protective about their particular procedures or their own yeast. And uh, so it, it's it's kind of one of those things that's kind of like a like everybody knows about this, but no one really talks about it. You know, like some breweries know yeah. certain things, but they won't share it with everybody. So yeah, I, it, I would say that just from what I've seen in master brewers, it's not, it's not that they're protective about it. It's just that they're busy and they have a lot going on and they don't, <laughs> they don't take the time to publish it. No, seriously. I mean, if you go back in history of master brewers, I mean, what's great through the TQ, we've got like, you know, over 60 years of research that's piled up. And if you go back and look at it, I mean, even these brewers, the big brewers that were very, you know, intensely competitive with each other, they still shared a, a, an incredible amount of information. I think that's really important. It's mm-hmm. part of why I'm a brewer. I think it's a really interesting aspect of our industry. And it's a challenge to get the craft brewers organized to to kind of pick up the reins and do more of that now that the large brewers are doing less of that, mostly just due to you know budget constraints and whatnot. Um, but I think the challenge is not that people are afraid to put the information out there. I think the challenge is really just that they that, you know, lack the time to fit it all into their busy schedules and whatnot. So, um, I, I guarantee you that information is out there somewhere, but we just, you know, <laughs> yeah. got to bring it to the light, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it's okay. shared in like, in like, you know, posters or presentations, but not necessarily yeah. published. So, yeah. 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 So, um, uh, what about oxygen? Doesn't oxygen offer some protection against the osmotic stress of high gravity wort? And most brewers increase wort DO as wort strength increases, but DO wasn't measured or controlled here, right? Yeah, it was um, at this scale, it was a little bit difficult to control. And uh, Castor, I believe you did another study with another grad student after after this uh, studying wort ox- oxygenation. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't controlled in this uh, particular study, but it definitely is a factor. Um, and I had a grad student after Nicole where we worked on high gravity warts and oxygenation scenarios. So yeah, we definitely see that the the, the oxygenation is definitely, uh, spe- I mean, especially with the high gravity warts, right? It definitely does uh, impact the yeast health, and it'll it'll you know it's definitely one of the factors to uh, you know to take into account. So again, that is one of the other. Um, uh, 
kind of parameters, right? That if you wanted to translate this to like a brewery uh, level, like commercial breweries, like, then you, we need to account for the oxygen as well. So yeah. Okay. Let's get into part two. Uh, tell us what you wanted to, to accomplish there and how you set that part up. Yeah, so in part two, we were looking at the effects that uh, IBE level had on the uh, serial repitching cycles. And um, we had donated from Barth Haas group uh, iso alpha acids, and we used that to dose out at the low, medium, and high IBE level. So 25, 50, and 75 IBUs. And that kind of corresponded with you know popular styles on the market. Um, uh, the initial study was just with a 10 degree Play-Doh. So just kind of to isolate, um, you know, if this is from, you know, the low gravity, uh, fermentations or the high gravity fermentations. So just to kind of take out that factor. And we did find that, uh, the higher IBU levels did affect the viability over time. The low IBUs, uh, didn't really affect the viability all that much. Um, but as we increased it, the, at the 75 IBU level, we did see a pretty significant drop off after the, uh, the fifth generation or after the fourth generation. I think this is pretty interesting because you were looking at only the effects of iso alpha acid. And in most commercial settings, there's a lot more going on than just iso. We recently heard. Dr. May talking about the effects of different hop acids, and we just heard about dry hopping and yeast health from John Giratano. But you're demonstrating that just adding ISO and nothing else has a significant negative effect. Why do you think that is? So I did find one study that talked about how the ISO alpha acids tend to uh, adhere to the cell membranes, and this affects how well the yeast is able to input um, you know, intake nutrients and output waste. So that's what I'm kind of thinking um, is is happening here. Um, it did also mention it affects the yeast ability to um, uptake zinc, like it reduces the bioavailability of zinc, um, which is an important nutrient for for yeast health. So with this in mind, it is important for brewers to know, um, you know, um, what they need to supplement with uh, with these like different, uh, you know, fermentation parameters. Okay. Uh, especially if they're repitching. <laughs> Another thing that's interesting is that while IBUs hurt yeast viability, they didn't seem to impact ethanol production, right? Yeah, that one that's kind of a hard one to explain because yeah, it definitely does, you know, decrease the viability as 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 the as, you know, as the repitching cycles go on, but it it seems like the ethanol production it's still it's still pretty strong. Um, but also keep in mind something that, that Nicole had mentioned before is like kind of those off notes, you know, that we were getting or that she was getting, sorry, uh, you know, sort of the diacetyl, like fruity aroma that really shouldn't have been there. So, you know, ethanol is just one of the parameters, right? But I, I think, uh, I think we were observing that there was kind of something else going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would love to do, um, like another study of this and, um, you know, use a, a GCMS to kind of analyze those volatile compounds and see like, like what we're actually producing over time. I think that would be a really interesting piggyback off of this study. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so uh, the moral of the story here is that, as we've discussed uh, with Graham Stewart in the past, these yeast stresses are additive, so we need to pick our battles. Yeah. So what we're seeing is basically when you when you do a combination of so we you know we did like uh, repitching and, and high gravity warts and you know repitching uh, IBU levels then we did repitching you know different gravity warts different IBU levels and we're definitely seeing that at the higher gravity warts like the medium and high gravities 
you know, the drops in viability come a lot sooner. You know, by the third generation, you're already below 85% and it, it pretty much stays there uh, regardless of IBU level, right? So whether it's 25, 50, or 75, at 14 Plato, you're seeing the drop below 85% by, by generation three. And you're seeing the same thing with the 18 degrees Plato versus, uh, you know, versus when we did only the 10 degree Plato and only, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not as... It's you know it's it's not as significant as as quickly or, or as as fast. I don't know if that's making sense. Uh, it takes a little bit longer, you know, when when these stresses are at the lower levels. But as soon as you increase them and combine them, you get a much more compound negative effect on the on the viability. So so you can see that like on our results, right? If you look at the graphs, you'll see like by generation three and the fourteen and eighteen gravity. Uh, I'm sorry, the fourteen and eighteen Plato's. You're seeing that it's it's below the 85% by by the third generation versus with the 10 degree Plato. You know, you're seeing depending on the IBU level and the repaging cycle, it's it, it can go up to four, sometimes even five. Uh, and with the with the very low IBU, it goes like all the way to seven, right? It doesn't even drop below 85. So, yeah, I think that's the other thing that this kind of uh, study showed that you know the, the more the more stressors that you add onto it, the, the more significant the effect is going to be on the on the you know, on the yeast health. I know you didn't look at this and weren't in a position to study every possible scenario, but what's your gut feeling on how much supplementing high gravity work with additional nutrients, whether that's oxygen, fan, minerals, whatever, would mitigate the damage here? My gut says, yeah, you could probably mitigate a lot of damage with, uh, you know, proper oxygenation, proper supplementation, but. Um, it's just kind of that experience that a lot of craft brewers uh, develop over time, knowing like what the yeast is going to need in order to get, uh, you know, the the outcome that they want, you know, good tasting beer. Um, but I feel like more studies like this could definitely help them hone in on like what specific nutrients and um, how they need to supplement, how much oxygen uh, like this will actually need in order to produce, you know, a good beer every single time. Yeah, and then kind of kind of piggybacking a little bit on, on what Nicole was saying, I think it's it's important to say like, okay, well, you know, if if we don't, why is it important to do that supplementation? Well, this you know, kind of this study shows. So look what happens when you don't do that supplementation, right? Here's right. your effect. Like a, a nice part two, apart from the from the GC uh, study that that Nicole was mentioning before, would be like, you know, what are uh, you know, when you're having these effects on the viability, okay, what levels do you need to supplement? You know, with both oxygen or, or nutrients or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that would be like the logical next step in, in, in a research like this, right? Just to see like, what would be the levels of, of, uh, you know, of, of nutrient addition or of oxygenation that you would need to, that you would need to control for and why is that important, right? Yeah. Okay. And obviously while Cal Ale Yeast is, or maybe was the 3470 of Ale Yeast, there's a lot of different strains out there. There's got to be some thick-skinned yeasts out there that just like this kind of stress and aren't going to be affected the same way, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, we did only study one strain of yeast, so it would be super interesting to see uh, how other strains of yeast uh, fare. Like, uh, you know, lager yeasts have been studied a lot, but it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, all these other ones that are, um, you know, really popular right now as well. Um, and just see how susceptible they are to these effects of uh, repitching high gravity and high IBU. You know, a lot of these stressors are extremely strain dependent. That's why it's important, like in these papers, to specify, you know, what yeast you're using 
and you know to make that you know we're not claiming that every single AO, you know every single California AOG strain is going to go through this you know we're saying for what we did this is what we're this is what we're observing right so right. I, I think that's really important because it, it is very it's extremely strained you know it's strain specific so you, like you said you could find a California AO that's so hardy that it, it is not even going to face it right <laughs> That was Lewis Castro and Nicole Bryant here on the Master Brewers podcast. Check the show notes for a link to the article and also for a link to get registered for the 2021 Master Brewers Conference in Cleveland. I hope to see you there. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career. And I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Let's talk and keep it